0: Welcome to the official podcast of Rock Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas. Last Sunday, Pastor Dave Lance continued our series, Rhythm, in which we're exploring how worship, work, and rest create a rhythm to our lives that allow us to experience a fuller life that's centered around Christ. In Sunday's message, we talked about God's design for work and found some practical ways that we can honor God in our workplace. Join us next Sunday at 1031 at Hebener Elementary as we conclude this series and learn how we can insert rest into the rhythm of our lives. Visit us online at rockhills.com, Rock Hills Church on Facebook, and at Rock Hills Church on Twitter and Instagram. We've hummed it, we've sung it, we've screamed it in the car after a really bad day of work. And some of us are saying, oh, does really the topic have to be work today? I'm so tired. This is the one thing I don't want to think about on Sunday. But work, we all have to deal with it. Um, and hopefully we can learn how to thrive in it. So let's uh, pray here a moment, and then we'll get into the rhythm of work. Lord, we're thankful for today. And um, we know that work is a part of life. It's not an afterthought. It is a significant part of life. It's part of your design for us as human beings. And so, Lord, help us. Help us uh, to see more of your perspective, to understand how our work can be more fulfilling how we can experience more joy in the work we do. And uh, we need you to do that. Uh, So we ask for your help and we pray this in Christ. Amen. All right. So we've all worked jobs that we didn't like so much, jobs that we've hated, right? Jobs that we would like to forget about, right? We've all done it. I've had those jobs. I think back to one job in particular that um, I did while I was in seminary. And so uh, you know, I was in class and I had to earn some extra money. And so I took a job with one of the shipping companies. It was RPS, I think they're owned by FedEx now, but just like UPS, shipping company. So I took this job and uh, you know, went into work. And what we did was we unloaded these trucks and had to you know, bring everything to the conveyor belt so it could get sorted and then go out for delivery. Well, it was a really crummy job so think about this so it is central florida it's hot humid sweaty no air conditioning in the this warehouse environment and we're moving heavy boxes you know from the truck to the conveyor belt and and another thing was it was two in the morning until seven in the morning so I'd be getting up at 1, 1.15 in the morning, just dreading going in to work. My boss was a jerk. I mean, he didn't care about any of us that were doing this job. I mean, we were expendable, very replaceable. There are, you know, line, a line of students that would fill our place. And so after two weeks of doing this job, I took this job and I shoved it <laughs> and I was done. I'd had enough. Well, we've all had those experiences. Sometimes we've had really bad bosses. Sometimes we've had good bosses. We haven't all had the advantage of working for Michael Scott in the office, (laughs) the world's best boss. Well, how about this? So I don't know what your work environment is like, um, but sometimes you hear stories of great companies and great bosses. Like I read this one last week. There's a company, Dan Price is the owner of Gravity Payments, and this past Monday, he announced to his company of 120 employees that he was going to move everybody's salary up to 70000 a year plus benefits. Not bad. I mean, he got a standing O on that one. And what he discovered was, you know, so why would he do that? He discovered through research that for most people, if they make $70,000 a year or more, they're more satisfied with their work. They're more content. They don't have to worry about all the basic stuff that gets in the way of them being content or productive at work. So it was a, he did a you know, positive thing for his employees, but also a positive thing for his company. He wanted his employees to be satisfied and content. And so over the next couple of years, every employee, even the ones that are making 25 or 30,000 a year are gonna be making $70,000 a a year in benefits. That's pretty amazing. All right, now think about this. This is important because when we think of work and whether we're satisfied or not satisfied, Gallup does uh, polls, they do all kinds of surveys. And one of their most uh, recent surveys on work is that 70% of people in their jobs are dissatisfied, discontent, 70%. That means only 30% are very satisfied or kind of satisfied with their work. So of the 70%, listen to this too. Of the 70%, there are 20% that really hate their jobs. In fact, they hate their jobs so much and are so unhappy that they're actively disengaged. So what does that mean? Actively disengaged means that they are making their workplace worse. They are not just unproductive, they're so negative that they're costing their employers money. Now, you know about these people because you work with them, don't you? Don't you? Hopefully you're not one, but it's just the reality in our working world. Lots of people are so unhappy with their work. So what does that mean for us as we wanna follow God? I mean, if we're interested in knowing God and following God and God being involved in our work knowing his design for us, what does that mean for us? Because God doesn't want us to be frustrated. He doesn't want us to be unproductive. He doesn't want us to affect others around us in a negative way. He wants us to have a healthy work life. He wants us to find some rhythm in the work that we do, some joy. So this is a pretty important topic, isn't it? Because we spend an awful lot of time working, It's a lot of our week, whether we work in an office or we work at home. All right, so here's the first thing. If we're going to understand uh, how to work in a more healthy way to have a better rhythm, we have to understand the purpose of work, the kind of the, the why. Why do we work? There's purpose in it, right? Right? God has intention in our work. Well, as we look at the scriptures, as we go to the very beginning of the old testament we see that god created work and it's meant to be good he designed it he thought of it there's something that's uh, very important for us as human beings to understand as we work and he didn't design work just simply be what we do to get a paycheck right many of us do that but there's lots of work to do and more work is more than a paycheck it's more than what we get paid to do. There's something more intrinsic about work. It's a basic part of our existence. It's a part of uh, what it means to be human, to work. It's meant to be life-giving. We're, ex- you know, we're supposed to experience some satisfaction and fulfillment in the work that we do. I mean, why do you think when we get our house all cleaned up and things put in order, why do you think we feel so good? Why do we, you know, all of a sudden say, oh, ah, this feels really good, this is good. It's because work is meant to be fulfilling. So let's talk about how we can pursue this kind of fulfillment in our work. So we're gonna talk about three things today. The first is uh, we're gonna talk about God's intention for work. We're gonna talk about our gifting for work And our attitude and how it affects the work we do and the people around us. So what is it? How do we define work? Well, one of the definitions as you look at the dictionary uh, on work is this. Activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. So mental, physical effort that's done to achieve something, some kind of purpose purpose or result. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1. And when we look at Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, we see that God just goofed off. No, God himself worked. God worked hard for six days. And at the end of each day of his creative work, God said, it's good. And he looked around. He stepped back. And he was satisfied at what he'd accomplished. Now, each day was life-giving. I mean, creation was happening. Things were coming into existence. But it was a creative and a life-giving process for God. And he wants us to experience some of that as well. Here's uh, what the text says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work of creation, and so he rested from all his work. Just so you know, next week we're talking about rest. So if you're completely burned out on, re- on work, rest next week. Now, that's something I need to hear about too. So I'm looking forward to next week. So part of God's work was to create not just uh, life, but he created human beings. He created us in his image so that we could be like him, so that we could learn the value and fulfillment of, of work. So what did he do? He entrusted human beings with the care and stewardship of the creation. As God worked six days and rested a day, we were meant to pattern our life after him, to work six days and to understand our need for rest. Work was supposed to be good and satisfying, not just for God, but for us as well. It was supposed to be life-giving. You know, in work, and we see this in God's creative process, work, we're supposed to see the potential of our work, right? I mean, it's not like, I mean, there are lots of jobs where you're just doing it and you're like, there is no purpose in this. But work itself, by definition, there's supposed to be potential in it. Like something good is going to come out of this. We're gonna shape this. We're gonna be a part of creating it. We're going to make it better, That is a huge part of work. Well, let's uh, move on in Genesis chapter two. The question is what happened? Genesis chapter two, just a few of the verses. Um, Then the the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you, will, you are sure to die. All right, so God's intention for human beings was to experience the same joy and purpose that he experienced as he created this environment for them as they worked the garden and shaped it and saw its potential. And at the beginning, for a very short time, it was a peaceful place. There was no sin, no corruption. There had to have been tremendous joy in the work that Adam and Eve were doing as they followed this pattern that God had given them. But you know what? In the garden came this first onset of dissatisfaction and discontent. Somewhere, uh, the, the serpent, Satan, the enemy of God, who had already challenged God, he decided to show up in the garden. And it was the first time that human beings had any sense of discontent. And it started with the serpent's question, his temptation of Eve. He said, Did God really say you can't eat from this one tree? And did he really say that you'll die? God knows if you eat the fruit, you will be like him and you'll know good and evil. And so the discontent begins to set in. Eve is questioning God, is this really right? He said that we can't eat from the the fruit from this tree, but maybe, maybe we'll know more. Maybe we'll experience more. And ultimately, as they made this decision, they were thinking, you know what? Maybe I could be the boss. Maybe I could be the one who gets to call the shots. I can supervise. I might be able to do it better than God. Now think about that for a moment because as they sinned, turning away from God, trusting him, something got very messed up for us related to work and everything else. But the disobedience of Adam and Eve led to the reality of chaos in our world. It led to the reality of frustration in our work. Our work life became completely out of rhythm. Our pattern got messed up. Work got very hard and dissatisfying. And discontentment began to abound because God pronounced a curse on our work. No longer would it simply be a joy. It was gonna be hard and there would be enough pain and frustration for a lifetime. And we say, excellent, that is great news. Now I know why. It's so frustrating. No, we don't say excellent because it's very, very sad. And it's a sad reality that we face, but it's not where God leads us. Here's how I think about it. Um, I like to use running as an example. So uh, some of you are thinking, okay, running. Yes, that is a result of the curse, running. They're like, Dave, don't try to tell me running's good because Adam and Eve did not run in the garden. They walked. In fact, Dave, if you really knew the scriptures, you would know they didn't need to run because they were perfect. There's no reason to run. Right. Well, I enjoy running. But there are only a few days, a few times where running is actually fun and super rewarding. And it's usually those optimal days where the temperature is perfect, like 60 degrees. It's, there's sunshine, my body doesn't hurt, and I'm ready to get out there and get going. And there's just a gentle breeze, two, three uh, miles an hour at my back the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, running isn't that way, is it? Running is typically hard, right? And there are lots of days where it's hot, it's humid, the weather's not so good, and you're running uphill, it seems like, most the way. With a wind 20, 25 miles in your face. Well, work is just like that. Work can be very hard and unsatisfying, and it doesn't seem like there's any purpose in it. And so we wonder, is that really God's intent for us? Is that his design for us? And I gotta tell you, no, it's not. That is our reality, but that's not his design because he has a pattern for us. He has a way and a rhythm that you and I can find. And work's still gonna be hard. There's still gonna be many frustrating days, but there's hope in our work. There is potential in our work. And you and I, as we look to God, can find it. So here's the thing for us. Last week, as we started this series, um, Al was talking about worship and how worship sets the foundation, really, for all of our life. Worship sets the foundation for our work, and it sets the foundation for our rest. And worship starts for us with our own obedience, our submission to God as our boss that his way is better. In fact, his way is the only place that we can start to find rhythm and some fulfillment and purpose in our work. And so that means that you and I, as we think about our work, God has to be a part of it. We've got to bring him with us and learn to trust him, to seek his presence and his activity in our work, because that's what worship is about. He's Lord, he's the boss, he's the starting point for us in everything that we do so that we can understand ourselves better and our opportunities and the importance of our work and what we do. And it doesn't matter whether that's at a job site, if you're traveling, or if you do your work at home. It's in every aspect of work. It starts with God and our worship and dependence on him. So let's talk about the next thing. We'd already talked about God's intent. His intent is for us to experience rhythm in life and our work. The second point is gifting. So let's talk about gifting for a few minutes. We were created in God's image and each of us was created with unique gifts and abilities. Okay, every one of us. I mean, you, you may be saying here, I, I don't know about me, but the scriptures tell us every one of us has unique gifting and abilities from god here's what paul tells us about this in romans chapter 12 he says this verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 it's this amazing text he says and so dear brothers and sisters i plead with you to give your bodies to god because of all he's done for you let them be a living sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship him don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. All right, so if our work is gonna be more fulfilling, we've gotta bring God with us. Because that's the only way we can sense God's activity, His His will, His desire for us. And so, first and foremost, we submit to God and we look to Him. And then Paul continues in saying this: Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we will all belong, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts and abilities for doing certain things well. That means that each one of us has been designed with particular gifting and abilities. So that means we need to understand ourselves. What are we best at? How has God put us together? How can we do things that are fulfilling to us and help other people at the same time? And we know this. I mean, we go through life, we take various uh, assessments and we try different things out and we should learn along the way what we're best at, hopefully sooner than later, right? Um, I mean, it, let's say that you, uh, you kind of went down a course and because your dad or your uncle or so-and-so was involved in finance and accounting, you thought I have to do this and so you went to school for it. And what you're finding is that you're terrible at it. You're horrible with numbers, right? So is that really something you should be giving your life to? Probably not. Um, Is it something that when you do it, it's, I mean, it's like, I'm just not good at this. And uh, I keep being told that I'm, you know, I'm not going to keep this job and everybody around me, they don't like me working because I'm just making it harder for them, right? There's certain things that we're just not good at. So if I were um, to... uh, Let's say I told Tim to take this job and shove it, and I'm gonna lead worship on Sunday mornings, right? So you would be like, oh, Dave, um, after one or two times, you'd be like, oh, I feel so bad for the guy. I mean, he's just, he's not good at this. <laughs> um, but after three or four or five weeks of this, you'd be like, we gotta get Tim back. This just is, this is not good. We don't do well in the areas where we don't have gifting or ability. Now, um, now the areas where we are gifted, we need to work at it, right? So Stephen Curry plays for the Golden State Warriors. Um, hopefully, the Spurs are on a collision course with the Golden State Warriors. So I don't know if you heard about this. He was practicing this last week, Stephen Curry, and he hit 77 three-pointers in a row. Now, he's like the best three-point shooter in the NBA. 77 in a row, and he hit 94 out of 100, And you're like, wow, that guy's good. Yes, he is good. He's so gifted. I bet he doesn't even have to shoot most of the time to shoot that well. No, we all know that's not true. He works hard at it. He probably shoots hundreds of threes every week in preparation for games. So we've got to learn, kind of determine what we're best at and then give energy to developing that. I mean, we're, we're, our 16-year-old, he's sorting through what he wants to do beyond high school. We're trying to guide and help him as he chooses his path and get experiences that'll be helpful in using his uh, gifts. All right, so a couple things though on gifts because um, I think this is really important to address because in our culture and even in the church to a certain degree, our culture is consumed with finding your best life where all you do is work out of this gift that you have or these main gifts. Now, that's not, uh, that's not bad. I mean, we want to function out of our gifts, but there's this sense that you have got to you know, just, I mean, there's personal growth seminars and all kinds of conferences you can go to and tapes and books you can buy and how you can receive the best life just by knowing what this gift is and utilizing it and exercising it. And what a lot of these resources say, if you do this, then you'll be happy and satisfied. That's partially true. That's good advice. But it's not the whole truth. Because sometimes in our culture, that gift or ability becomes an idol to us, right? Where um, it's like, I have to be doing this. I have to get the recognition. I have to get the money. I have to have the success that's attached to this gift. And if I don't, then I don't feel good about myself. Because that's not who you are, the gifts that you have. We have to remember this. It's a gift from God, not something we should make a God. The gifts that we have come from God, but not they're not something that we should make into an idol or make in to God. Because it can't define us. God, his relationship with us defines us. And our gifts are an extension of how we find fulfillment as we live in this world and serve him. All right, here's another thing. You know, the reality is in our jobs is we don't get to do this, you know, whatever our main gifting is, we don't get to do that all the time and we don't get to stick in that zone, right? Because there's lots of work to get done, which means there are little things that have to get done, right? Things that we don't necessarily enjoy. There are administrative tasks, there are follow-up calls, there are emails that have to be sent out, there's cleaning up after other people's messes. It's just work, right? And all of us have to be a part of it. in our house, um, Oh, this is just, I feel like I'm about to give a lecture uh, or, that I give over and over again in my house is that we've got all these jobs to do. And so cleaning the kitchen, there are jobs that have to get done. And I'm not okay with somebody saying, uh, cleaning the kitchen is not my gift, okay? I'm, it's not my gift, so I'm not gonna help out. I'm gonna go play video games, which I'm very gifted at. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like when we clean our house um, You know, we've got six people now in our house and our house turns into disaster so quickly. And it's like, okay, there's all, we got to clean things up and put things away. I'm not okay with somebody saying, hey, dad, I've been thinking about this and everything's going to get messy again anyway. So I'm not going to help out. Uh, I'm going to put my time to better use because it's just going to get all messy again. I'm not going to worry about it. Is that going to be okay? No, not going to be okay. Okay. There are little things that we often to do that are part, even a part of our gifting that are just work, right? Um, it's like this, you know, when we, uh, we come, there's a lot that goes on in the Rock Hills community. It's not just what we do on Sundays. We, you know, we have groups that meet during the week and all kinds of activities like we talked about in the, the announcements. Um, but every Sunday, because we're a mobile church and we meet in a school, there's set up and takedown. And we've got, we've got all these committed people that come week in and week out. They set up and they take down. Now, a set up and take down of all this stuff, is that fun? No, it's work. Yeah, no. <laughs> but something amazing happens when we commit to the work. There are relationships that develop and we have a lot of fun together as a community, as we work together doing stuff that isn't necessarily our primary gift or that exciting, but it is good because relationships come off. And what you'll find, if, if you decide to come help us uh, before or after service, you'll find that there are plenty of unique pieces of work around here. God calls them masterpieces. We call you pieces. No, um, it's, just, it's a fun process and we joke around a lot and have fun with it. Okay, there's something else that's important too. So, and when we talk about our gifting, um, and this is part of the text as we read it from Paul. When he talked about gifts and abilities, he was speaking in the context of worship. So first of all, we want to live for God and we want to use our gifts and abilities for him. We want to find this rhythm that we're talking about. But if we're going to live for God, if we're going to use our gifts, we've got to be concerned with benefiting the people around us because our gift is not just for us it's for the body it's for the community it should make a difference in other people around us Paul talks about in that text that we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought instead we're a part of Christ's body and we're living to do our part to to live as a benefit to others and so our attitude should be affected He said, you know, I I want you to not conform to the culture anymore, but I want your mind to be renewed. I want you to have a new attitude. And what that attitude is, is an opportunity to make things better for the others around us. Um, Jesus did this. Think about, so God worked. There are all kinds of references in the scripture, in the New Testament as well, where Jesus says, you know, God is always at work and I'm here to work. Jesus came to work for our salvation. I mean, he was the only perfect one who was God divine and human, and he lived the life that you and I can't live. He sacrificed himself as an offering to God. That was work, and it was for God's glory. It was for God's recognition, but it was for the good of all of us as we put our faith in Christ. And so as Jesus came into this world and he extended himself to others for their benefit, you and I are also to live in such a way and to work in such a way where we extend ourselves for the benefit of others. I mean, that's why our attitude is so important. Um, I want to spend, as we wrap things up, a few moments on attitude. Because our attitude is what sets the course of our actions. Our attitude determines what we do and if our attitude is right we can have a positive effect on others now think about this from the statistics in Gallup: if 70 percent of people are dissatisfied with their work that means that you and i have the opportunity every day if we're in an office to affect the people around us in a positive way um, if you're at home with kids um, i'm sure there are days where your kids don't have the best attitude right Many days where their attitude is not good, but your attitude can change the environment and the last landscape of your house. And I have to remember this myself because <clears throat> I can blast in and you know make things worse or I can take a step back and I say, God, how can I speak into my kids in my home and create a better environment here? You know, our attitude's important because God calls us to take our worship wherever we go. I mean, even if you're in a tough work environment, one that you know you're, you're not gonna be able to stay in forever, you still have the opportunity to bring a positive attitude. Listen to this from Philippians chapter two. Also, Paul speaking, he's talking about uh, this work that we do that has an eternal effect on the people or community around us. He says, "'Dear friends, you, all, you always followed my instructions "'when I was with you. "'And now that I am away, it is even more important. "'Work hard to show the results of your salvation, "'obeying God with deep reverence and fear. "'For God is working in you, "'giving you the desire and the power "'to do what pleases him. "'Do everything without complaining and arguing "'so that no one can criticize you.'" Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. What Paul's telling us is we shouldn't be surprised by our work environments, that they're tough, that there are difficult people to deal with. And some of us, as you think about your own attitude, you realize, you know what? I don't, think I, I don't know if I can influence this work environment, so maybe I need to find a different place to work. But as we sort through this, we may find that our own attitude needs to change as we go into our work environment. Because Paul says, as we do the work, we have the opportunity to shine and to show, God, show people that God is presence. You see, God wants us to experience life in the way that we work. And he promises to be with us and to work through us. And so I hope as you go into this week, as you pray and you ask God for strength, that you'll find that he is trustworthy and that he will give you exactly what you need this week. I want to... You know, you may, be, you may be in a place right now where you say, I just don't think my work's very significant. I don't know how I could affect people around me. Um, I was going through the drive-thru this past week. It was just, you know, a normal day. I was in a rush. I'm going through, getting fast food. And I, I ordered and I looked ahead of me. And you know how the, there's, you know, the person in front of you, you can kind of, sometimes you can see their face with the mirror and stuff. And I just noticed this woman was extremely happy in front of me. And so at first it was like, why is she so happy? And I was, you know, doing something and she's, I'm, she's laughing and smiling. And I'm like, what is up with her? And so she leaves and I was about to forget about it. And then I pull up to the window and here's the gal working at the fast food place. And she says, hi, how are you today? And instantly I wanted to smile. And so I smiled back and I asked her how she was doing, and she's just full of all this enthusiasm. And it hit me. She was happy because this gal is happy. And she works at a fast food place. We have an opportunity wherever we are to affect others around us through our work.